Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So we are going to dive back in to uh, our sermon series on the topic of identity. Are you guys excited about this today? Great. Well, we're going to pray and kick off and just ask that God would transform us today. Are you down for some transformation this morning, church? I'm all in on some transformation. Um, I want to become more like Jesus through our time together in his word. How about you? Well, let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would move upon our hearts today. We ask that you would renew our minds today. We ask that you would transform us spiritually today, that we might reflect the beautiful image of Jesus to the world and to our sphere of influence. God, we ask that what you do in us today would become such a great blessing to our homes, to our families, to our moms and dads, our sons and daughters, to our universities, to our jobs. And God, that you would just encounter us so that we could become a walking encounter for the world. We declare that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Well, um, I am going to reference uh, half of a scripture as I get started here in just a moment, which is going to be from Romans chapter 12. So there is no need for you to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. But I see like when we get started, everybody pulls out their phone because they're waiting on that opening scripture. Have a little bit of an introduction slash review, and then we're going to get to that. So if you are on the edge of your seat right now thinking, when is the scripture going to be referenced? I need to open it in my Bible app before I say to myself, okay, it's sermon time now. I get it, okay? We do these things. Church has a script. We talked about culture having a script last week. We sort of have a rhythm and a flow. And so if you need that today, no shame here in the Father's house, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And in just a minute, I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture. But before uh, we dive into some new content for the week, I want to actually refer back to last week. How many of you guys heard the message last week? About three quarters of you guys. So if you did not hear it last week, what were you doing last Sunday? What's going on, man? No, please go back, watch the YouTube, and uh, review the message because last week's message will give you some foundational uh, thoughts on what we're going to talk about today. So we're actually in the middle of a sermon series on identity. So Let's first answer the question, why in the world should we even talk about identity? And I, I have a slide for this. As Christians, we must consistently teach and talk about our identity. Do you believe this? Yes. Pause for a moment. Did you know that the most recurring crime in the world is identity theft? Has anyone ever had their identity stolen before? Like you had a credit card stolen or something like that. I have. 
you know, got a statement. Two iMac computers were being sent to Chicago. It's like, what? Right? It's a common crime. You know why? Because it's a common crime in the spirit. So what happens in the natural is only a reflection of what happens in the spirit. And the most recurring crime happening in the spirit today is identity theft. Just, that, just like there are criminals who are trying very hard uh, you know, to infiltrate um, your hard drive and steal your identity, uh, I believe that the enemy is working very hard to infiltrate your heart and steal your identity to try and get you to live below the standard of the abundance of life that Jesus paid for on the cross for you to experience 24-7, 365, year after year, even in the midst of 2020. Doesn't matter what COVID says. The Word of God is true. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it doesn't matter the season of the world. The season in the Spirit is always consistent on the basis of what God has spoken. Amen. So let's just posture our hearts to tap into a greater reality today because we are new covenant Christians that are new creations that live according to a greater reality. Somebody ought to say amen in the midst of me reading the opening slide here because I'm already preaching. That's who you are. Look at your neighbor and say, that's who you are. <laughs> you are somebody. You know why? Because God says so. And you're in the Father's house. Hey. You're in the Father's house. This is where you receive your blessings. This is where you receive your name. Great thing is, can't nobody name themselves? You can't, right? So you get your name in the context of a family. Your father speaks over you your name and blesses you. Amen. You can't name yourself. You got to get your name in the context of a family. You know what's also interesting? You cannot crucify yourself. You could attempt that like you could drive a nail into your feet and you could get one nail in one hand. But in order for me to stay crucified, I need you to drive the third nail Uh, that's pretty good. Um, not only can you not speak out your name over yourself, but you also cannot crucify yourself. It's in the context of community. God made us to be social beings. It's in the context of community that our identity emerges. Amen. As we are blessed and as iron sharpens iron and the dead man stays dead. Okay. So... Because our culture, every culture, doesn't matter where you're from, every culture is actively imposing an identity process upon us. Everybody say identity process. Everybody say identity factors. Okay, these are some terms that we're going to dive into today. This is happening and has always happened without our permission and very likely without our awareness. Now, whether you are aware of it or not right now, uh, culture actively has you in an identity process. So you have been handed and you are consistently being handed a script. It is an identity. It's an identity process that the culture is giving to you and they are pushing you out onto the stage of life and demanding that you read your lines. 
If you rip up that script and you start reading from a different script, that's when resistance and persecution and marginalization, we have that experience, right? Because culture tends to vilify and demonize anybody who is unwilling to read from the predominant script, right? But as Christian peoples, we're not reading from the identity script of culture. We're reading from a different identity script, and that is the gospel. So last week, we talked a little bit about the difference between traditional identity, and we'll review it, and modern identity. But this week, what I want to contrast a bit more is the difference between modern identity and gospel identity. Because there's a greater identity. Amen. So uh, the terms that I want to review, number one is identity. And identity is your sense of self and your sense of worth. One of the things to remember, your identity essentially is what you look to for the two S words, significance and security. Your identity flows from where you receive your significance and your security. Your security is what you trust most. And your significance is what you value most. What you trust most and what you value most. To say it another way is this, your identity comes from what you live for. Your value comes from your success in what you live for. Say it again. I should have made a slide out of this one. Your identity comes from what you live for and your value comes from your success in what you live for. How well are you doing at being successful, at achieving, at winning at what you live for? Is that, is that your career? Is that your finances? What, whatever, is that your marriage? Whatever identity factor that is supreme in your life, uh, you know, whether or not you're being successful at that thing or not is going to determine your self-esteem, your value, your sense of worth. It's going to determine your identity, who you are. So it's really terrible when what you live for and where you get your significance and your security from is something you're not successful at. Am I preaching to you yet? And I mentioned identity process, but just a real quick review. An identity formation process, it provides you a sense of self and a sense of value. So we're all in an identity process. Culture gives us a script. And let me tell you this. Unless you find an alternative, which is what we're going to present today, unless you find an alternative, 100% of us will read from the predominant script of our day, okay? You don't get to vote, like the culture, the culture doesn't let you vote, like, would you like to have a cultural identity that is modern, or would you like to have a cultural identity that is ancient or traditional, or would you like to have a gospel identity? It doesn't ask you, like when you're born into the world, it doesn't tell you, you can go one way or the other with who you choose to be. No, the culture simply thrusts an identity onto you oftentimes without your awareness, and then you enter into an identity process as being a member of the culture that you're a part of. Is this too much philosophy already? 
right? So if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing as Christian peoples is we'll have doctrine in our head, but we'll have culture in our heart. So what we'll say is, I subscribe to a particular number of Christian beliefs. We may even confess the creeds. We may go to church and we may work hard to become moral. But unless we choose the gospel identity script, culture will go to work in our hearts. And as time goes along and as we get older, we'll read the Bible. We'll consider authentic Christianity is actually incomprehensible. We'll say, this is imperceivable. There is no way that this is actually possible. That's when you know that culture has gone to work in your heart and your belief system that we'll call Christianity has only occupied your head. Amen? So we've got to get our belief system, not just in our brains, we've got to get it flowing out of our heart. Because we don't speak out of our brains. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the brain... That the mouth speaks because we're called to be witnesses. So we must witness something greater than the predominant culture of our day. We must witness to a greater identity that's been made available to all human beings, not because we're so awesome at witnessing, but because Jesus has given us the opportunity to witness him through what he accomplished on the cross and paid for in his own blood so that we didn't have to live according to the culture in all of its fragility, but that we could live according to the gospel in all of its stability. That it doesn't matter what happens. Global pandemic, I know who I am. I got a positive COVID test, I know who I am. This does not define me. Right? So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, here's the half a verse of scripture that I was going to allude to in the, in the introduction. It says, do not conform to the pattern of, the, pattern of this world. Do not conform to the predominant cultural identity script of today, but be renewed. Let me tell you this. You cannot become more like Jesus while being conformed to the pattern of this world. You cannot become more like Jesus having a belief system in your head, but the culture of the world in your heart. We cannot become more like Jesus in that way. Verse 22 through 24 from Ephesians chapter 4. I read this last week. Please allow me to read it again. Put off your old self. Put off your old self. I want you to know Paul here is speaking to Christians. So the assumption here is that the old self needs to be dealt with. Hey, you guys have been walking with the, with the Lord for, for quite some time. Hey, listen, be reminded Put off the old self. That's not yours to wear. That's not the identity script you're called to read from, which belongs to the former matter of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. We, we, we mentioned last week that the traditional identity is based upon your duties, like, like what you must do, how you must work for honor. But the modern identity is not based on your duty, but it's based upon your desire. Your feelings are your Lord. So this reads real well in 2020. <laughs> Through your deceitful feelings. How about we substitute it for that? And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And, and, and for all of you guys that don't like people who talk about feelings all the time, don't get too excited because I'm coming for you in a minute. Okay. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. You guys read that last line. Can you? Holiness. If you were in Legacy College, you got lit with us on Wednesday on some holiness. What is up? Let's go. Paul's telling, telling us, hey, the culture is giving you identities. Put them off. Cast them off. Cut them away. Rip up that script. And I want you to put on you Jesus and the identity that he gives to you. So when we, when we uh, compared and contrasted the traditional with the modern uh, last week, because this review is important, is that we looked at the traditional identity and we said that the traditional identity is from the outside in. So what do you do in a traditional identity? You go outside, you go to the family, you go to your parents, you go to society, and they tell you who you are. Or you go to absolute truth or higher morality, and it informs you about who you are. Then you come inside and you negotiate with yourself so that you can live according to those outside greater truths. Make sense? That's a traditional identity or an ancient identity. In a modern identity, it is inside out. So you don't go outside looking for greater truth. You don't go to your family. You don't go to society. You don't go to your parents. You go inside and you look and you find the greater good. You do you, boo. You know what I'm saying? And once you figure that out, then you go outside and then you inform society about who you are. This, this is just philosophy. I'm not trying to step on any toes. Simply presenting, don't read the book, but Sources of Self by Charles Taylor is where I got this information from. So the traditional identity says, I sacrifice my inside for the greater good of the outside. The modern identity says that the outside must sacrifice for me. You know what I'm saying? The traditional identity says others validate me. And the modern identity says only I validate me. That's it. You don't get to validate me. Only I validate me. Right? And uh, there was, a, there was a, um, a reference made. I was listening to uh, Pastor Tim Keller uh, talk about identity some. And he was talking about the, um, the, the hypocrisy of, of modern counseling. And, that, and that's, not to, uh, that's not to put anything bad on counselors. I see counselors. I think counselors are wonderful. But he said, so often today we sit before counselors and we hear counselors say, don't let anybody validate you. Don't let anybody tell you who you are. Don't let, you know, but really they're actually doing that. Yeah. I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to tell you how great you are. And he's like, hold on, wait just a second. Like this is the hypocrisy of the modern identity. That even though we, we live in accordance to this mindset, we still allow those who we esteem the greatest to affect our self-esteem the greatest. Right? Um, so anyways, I thought it was interesting. Every, in, 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 I mentioned this last week, and here, here's another uh, uh, frozen reference for those of you guys who love Elsa. I do. Uh, also, uh, Moana is another, uh, just about every Disney story, you know, not to freak you out, is basically the hero's journey from the traditional identity into the modern identity. So I'm not saying you shouldn't let your kids have Disney Plus, but I am saying that you have to be aware of the identity script that they're being handed through the Lion King, through Moana. I'm getting into some trouble right here, aren't I? Because I'm like coming for sacred cows. People are like, not my Moana, you know, and I get it. I get it. I've seen it a hundred times as well, okay? 
What can I say except you're welcome? I know. It's awesome. I love Dwayne Johnson, okay? Yep, he's awesome. I get it. I understand why you like it. I like it too. But this is the way in which uh, culture is being trained through stories and through songs. And it's always been this way. And some interesting research that I um, received, learned about this week in regards to stories and songs is, is simply this. Culture, uh, every single culture, has to explain why life is not what it should be. Every culture takes on this task. They have to explain why life is not what it should be. And then the culture works to explain what would make life better. And they do that through stories and songs in a, in a very real sense. Hey, the gospel does that as well. You know, it explains, hey, this is what would make life better. Um, so through stories, now hang with me here for some literary language. Culture presents protagonistic forces. And essentially what culture says is, if these forces prevail, these protagonistic forces, then life is going to get a lot better, right? But then culture also presents antagonistic forces. And they say, if these forces prevail, then life is going to get a lot worse, right? And so the story or the song or the movie or the, you know, Disney show moves us in the direction of the protagonist, right? If we move in this direction, then life is going to get a lot better because this way of life is right. Right, wrong, correct? So we're all being conditioned on the basis of our culture through stories and songs to move towards protagonistic heroes that, you know, just so happen to be leaving traditional identity and going into the modern identity and everything is about me and myself and how I feel about things. These are our heroes today, right? So they try to move them towards that protagonistic hero. And in traditional stories, like if you look at ancient stories, traditional stories, uh, to do what's right, to move towards that protagonistic hero, you cannot be selfish, any traditional story, it's all about um, being saved from the self, being saved from selfishness. But in the modern story, the protagonistic force says this, here's what's going to make the world right, is if every person can decide for themselves what's right and, and what's wrong, and they're allowed to live in any way that they so choose, so long as they don't harm anyone else. That is, okay, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody if you're like, oh, I don't like this message and where this is going. Listen, this is modern identity, and this is our current culture story about what is a protagonistic force. If we would live this way, then everything would get better. Let everybody decide for themselves what's right and wrong for them, and let them do whatever they want so long as they don't harm anybody else. That is the culture that we li we're living in. Could we all agree on this? Because this is the case. That's the protagonistic force, right? And so the antagonistic force in the modern story is this. What will make the world bad is if there is any sort of sacred order, higher truth or higher morality that I have to submit myself to. That is actually evil. 
So the traditional identity says you've got to be saved from selfishness. The modern identity says that you must be saved from the idea that you need to be saved. Because if salvation exists, we don't get to do whatever we want. So they're like, that's all antagonistic, okay? Right? There is no salvation. Because if there's a salvation, then I can't do whatever I feel like doing. Whenever I feel like doing it. That's the world in which we live. That is in the storyline of our culture. That's the, that is the protagonistic hero. That's why we're all being moved towards that. And I know that doesn't feel good to know that you're unaware of the fact that we are moving towards that inadvertently through Instagram and the infinite scroll and the news feeds and the movies we watch and the songs we listen to and all of that. Can't tell how this is going over anymore. It started good. It started good. And now it's like, it's starting to move. It's starting to move that way. So like if I were to suggest to a Muslim that they become Christian, uh, the Muslim would say to me, you're just wrong, yeah. right? But if I were to suggest to a secular person that they should become a Christian, they would say, you're evil. See, this is exactly what's wrong with the world. You're, you're suggesting that there is some kind of salvation. You're suggesting that I need to be saved from anything. No, no, I've found my greater good. I'm fine just the way that I am and I can do whatever I want whenever I feel like doing it so long as I don't hurt anybody else. That is the culture in which we live. Could we all agree at least? Right? So that is a modern identity. I mentioned this last week and I've got to move quick on this, but there's six problems with the modern identity. Number one is it's incoherent. If feelings are king and they are the only thing that can inform you as to what is right or wrong, let me tell you, you're going to be filled with contradictions. You know why? Because your feelings are going to change. And they're going to change on the basis of uh, what's going on in your head that day chemically, the pizza you ate last night, or the bad burrito you ingested this morning. You know, or wherever. You know, it's, your feelings are going to change. Number two, it's fragile. Um, it's just, it's, as social beings, our identity must be negotiated through dialogue with an outside person, a.k.a. Jesus alone. Amen. And so it's fragile because we're up and down and nobody can disagree with us on the basis of what I'm feeling today or else you're attacking me as a person and degrading my identity. So it's very fragile. Uh, thirdly, it's crushing. The traditional identity was all about fitting in. The modern identity is all about standing out. So you have to consistently be beautiful and brilliant and intelligent and the best and the most of everything in every single environment. And if you're not, you're going to be crushed. It's fragmenting. No longer do we do things for other people, but we're radically individualized. That's what sociologists would call it. And so we just don't do anything that's not good for me. Who cares if it's for the greater good of the whole? I refuse to do it. So communities are fragmenting. They're separating. Families are fragmenting. They're separating. If you do not validate me on the basis of the person that I've become this year in year 33 of our marriage, then I will divorce you and I will move forward in this direction. Who cares about our covenant? This is all about me. That is a modern identity. Are you guys catching this? It's also exclusive. It finds who it is in demonizing who it's not. So everybody who disagrees with the person in the modern identity, they vilify and demonize. Right? 
So if you disagree with me, then there must be something fundamentally flawed with your humanity. Oh, you disagree with me, you're racist. Oh, you disagree with me, you're a bigot. Oh, you disagree with me, you know, you guys see what I'm saying. Fill in the buzzword of today. Whatever it is. Do you actually know that person? No. Do you actually know that's what's going on in their heart? You don't have a clue. Bill Johnson says we are never more at our dumbest than when we supposed to know the motive of another person. You don't know what's going on in their life, right? Uh, number six is it's an illusion. Let me state this emphatically. You cannot find yourself. That is an illusion. You cannot discover yourself. You can't even discover your own good. It, you cannot. It's an illusion. Uh, you may think that you're doing that, but what you're doing is you're taking all of the tools that culture has provided you, and then you're going on that adventure to discover yourself. And so the tools that you're using are going to prohibit you from actually discovering the real you. Because there's only one way to discover the real you. And I'll say it like this. When you find God, you find yourself. Yes. Better said is, when God finds you, you find yourself. So um, I know there are people who are going to read this and they, ha they have a modern identity and they say, yeah, that's all true. Yes, I'm completely incoherent half the time. Yes, I'm up and I'm down and I'm led by my feelings and it's very crushing at times and there's a lot of fragility in how I feel about myself. And it's true. I don't really like the other camp and the things that they say, but at least I'm free. Right. So freedom has become your God. Okay. And then your own definition of freedom has become the freedom that has become your God. So actually, you're still just as confused and incoherent as you started with. <laughs> it's just getting worse. It's getting... Um, how many of you guys have ever read the prodigal son story? If you haven't, you have to. It's, it's wonderful. And to use a couple of terms here is that, you know, we have a younger brother, right? The younger brother, he leaves. He demands his inheritance. He leaves. He's the bohemian personality. And he represents the modern identity. So just think about, like, people today, modern identity. We are the younger brother. The millennials are the younger brother. By and large, for the most part. Not everybody. But most young people today, they have a modern identity. Would you guys agree? And see, the older brother is the traditional identity uh, or the bourgeois identity, uh, which if you Google that term, you'll find out what that means, is they are very moral, they are very concrete, they are very stable, they, they get the job done, they, they execute on all of their responsibilities, right? They're more of a traditional identity. Uh, but in reality, neither the traditional or the modern are a gospel identity, Neither the younger brother or the older brother are a gospel identity because both of them were doing the exact same thing in that they were using the father simply for his stuff rather than loving the father from their heart as a son. And what's interesting to me about this is that the traditional identity, in my opinion, is actually more dangerous. I know that we would look at this and we would say, oh man, that modern identity, those bohemian personalities just running all around, doing whatever they want, being led to their feelings. They're terrible people. But who repented? There is something to be said about the 
Christian person that has a traditional identity wrapped up in an accurate doctrinal confession. I'm just going, I'm, 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 doing the, I'm doing my duty. I go to church every Sunday. I give 10% in the offering every single time the bucket is passed. I never falter. I never fail. I always do what is right. I always say the right thing. I always think the right thing. I am very disciplined. That's good. But is your heart connected to the Father's heart and are you serving God to stay out of hell and continue to get blessed or are you living with God because you are in absolute awe of his beauty and his majesty and his salvation and he is he, he is he is the one in whom your soul takes its delight now I'm using some emotive language to push you traditional people out of your seat a little bit but you guys get what I'm saying I know sometimes like with the modern, it's like, I really have a hard time with that. I think it's the same uh, with the tra traditional. And, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll push a little bit harder in just a minute. And, and the clock says I have three minutes and 50 seconds left, but that's not true. So, but I will be quick, okay? Now, let me, let me say this, and I'm going to say it with a slide, okay? And this is the only difference. So, the, you know, the modern and the traditional. The traditional, man, you work really hard. You do all the right things. You say all the right things. You're super disciplined. But let me, let me at least contrast a little bit the difference between the traditional and the modern and the gospel, okay? So the gospel and the Christian identity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. Okay, so this is the difference in us as Christian peoples, okay, and the cultural script that we receive. Because what it tells us is that we have to achieve in order to be accepted, right? So every single one of us as human beings, we have a need to feel loved and accepted. And every culture promises us acceptance on the basis of performance. If you do all of the right things... Right? If you do all the right stuff, then you receive value. And your value increases with your performance or your value decreases with your absence of it. Every culture offers this, this same invitation into this cultural identity, be it modern or traditional. Everything has to be achieved, whereas the gospel identity comes in and, and supersedes that and said, no, no, the gospel identity is not being achieve, achieved, it's being received. The gospel identity says, yeah, for sure, the good has to be achieved, but I can't do it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. So the gospel identity says this, God has accepted me because of what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus's performance, because of Jesus's achievements, I am accepted. I have a sense of value. I have a sense of worth. I know who I am, not on the basis of my own performance, because this identity cannot be achieved, but on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished, Jesus has achieved, and Jesus has won. Therefore, I have a sense of value and a sense of worth. Amen. So Jesus was treated as though he'd done everything we'd done 
so that God would treat us as though we'd done everything that Jesus had done. Do I need to say that again? I know it was a mouthful. I wrote it down and I emboldened it in my notes. I was like, I don't know. It's kind of confusing. But Jesus was treated as though he had done everything we'd done, which is sin. So that God would treat us as though we've done everything that Jesus has done, which is righteousness. The very minute that you believe in Jesus, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The very moment that you believe in Christ Jesus, you receive a greater identity that you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No longer do you have to achieve, perform. No longer does your value go up on the basis of a cultural metric system. But you're stable and solid. You can't go up or go down because none of it is on the basis of you. But everything is on the basis of Jesus. Man, that right there is just ought to just give you the warm and fuzzies. Or if you're more traditional, intellectually satisfying. Right? Jesus then becomes the decisive validator as to who you are. That means no one else can be the decisive validator of your identity. Uh, not a politician. Can't be the, they can't be the decisive validator of who you are. Nope, they cannot. A teacher, a coach, a parent, your spouse, your kids. Now, a lot of people, they, they, they put that kind of pressure on their kids. And they, and they say things like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be great. You can be awesome. Nobody's ever been like you. No culture in the history of the world has ever put that kind of pressure on their kids. That's the work of the modern identity. Oh, yes, that one hurts. I know. But this is what we get to receive through being Christians. The only opinion in the universe that counts is the opinion of Jesus. And he looks at you and he finds you more valuable than all of the jewels that are buried beneath the earth. That's it. That's who you are. And no other culture offers you anything close to this. Only God has the ability to give you identity. And if you give this ability or this power to anybody else, here's what I can promise, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Even good people. To give a human being this power will cause your identity to become extremely fragile. Because unless you are esteemed by somebody you esteem, you will have no self-esteem. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because somebody that you have a high regard for, they say something really good about you and you're like, up. You're like, ooh, yes, that's right. I'm amazing. And then if somebody that you have a really high regard for says something, oh, I'm a piece of trash. Hey, look. What Jesus is speaking over you is very consistent. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The very moment that you believe, you received this gospel identity. Right? So Tolkien said this, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. He said again, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. When someone you adore adores you, it's like heaven, isn't it? Think about it with me just for a moment. When someone you adore, like adores you, like someone you're obsessed with is obsessed with you, it's like heaven. You're like, did we just become best friends? Yes, we did. 
Are we in love? Let's get married. You know what I'm talking about. When someone you adore adores you, it is like heaven. And the more you understand that that is the kind of connection that you have with God through Christ Jesus, the more stable your identity will be. Whoa, you mean to tell me, thank you, Kelly. You mean to tell me, it's going to help me close. You mean to tell me that the person that adores me most, that I adore most, and we're just wrapped up in this intimate cycle of communion, and this is who I am, that the person that I adore most adores me the most and vice versa? Like that's how stable your gospel identity is. And let me give you four remarkable aspects of a gospel identity as I'm closing here. All right, these are the most important points and I'll, I'll try to move through them pretty quickly. But four remarkable aspects of a gospel identity. Okay, you ready for this? Okay. Number one. Number one is not right, but that's okay. That is the title. But. I'm going to give you a different number one, so don't write that one down, okay? Here's number one. Number one, the, the four incredible aspects of a gospel identity. Number one is this, the coexistence of boldness and humility. Okay, number one, the coexistence of boldness and humility. Any identity that is based upon performance allows you to feel really bold and confident when you live up to the standards. Hi, traditional identity people. But not humble. And actually what you end up doing is you end up poking fun at the people who don't measure up to your standards. Yes. Right? So you're bold, but you're not humble. On the other hand, if you don't live up to the standards, you're super humble because you're used to failing. Yes. So you kick it with everybody else who fails. Yes. But, and it's great because you guys get together and you talk about how humble you are and how terrible you are and all that stuff. But you're not bold. So you're very sympathetic toward, towards other people's failures, but there's no confidence. And what I found interesting this week in this study is that in Philippians chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Galatians chapter 6 all talk about boasting. And I know sometimes that we think that as Christians, we're not allowed to boast anymore. But here's what Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The Bible, let me say it to you like this. The Bible has no problem with you boasting, but it has a problem if you boast in anything except for Jesus first. There's no problem in being confident. But whenever you boast first in Jesus, it gives you the humility to have both hand in hand. I like that. You guys like that? The Bible doesn't say don't boast. It just says boast in the right things. You know, what we tend to boast in most is our primary identity factor. Right? So what that might be for me, I'm a pastor. I'm boasting in that. And I, that's the first thing that you know about me. So that's an identity factor because I'm a, I'm a pastor, but I'm a leader and I'm a, I'm a white man. That's important to note in today's culture. Okay, so what is my identity factor that I'm boasting in the most? Well, that's where I get 
the most value and significance? Is that Jesus or is that something else? Deeply insecure people do three things. This is just an aside. Number one, they dominate. That's boldness, but no humility. Number two is they do anything that they can to get approval, including manipulation. That's humility, but no boldness. And then the third thing they do is withdraw, and that's humility and no boldness. So in Jesus and a gospel identity, you have both. You have boldness and humility. Here's number two, and this point is right. A healthy approach to emotions. Here's what the traditional identity says. Stuff your emotions. Do your job. I don't want to hear nothing about your feelings. They're overrated and insignificant. Actually, you're wrong. The modern identity says this. Above all else, follow your heart. Actually, you're wrong. So there's a church father named Augustine. He was a part of the Nicene Council, African theologian, who wrote a book called Confessions. And it was an unprecedented book because he spent an entire book exploring his desires. And and here's an essential statement that came from the book. Feelings and desires are not the problem. We thought they were the problem, but it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have desires. The problem is that we consider God far too little in relations to those feelings and desires. So here's a gospel approach to emotions. Don't stuff your feelings, but also don't give in to your feelings. Just reorder your feelings. Reorder your passions. Reorder your desires so that as we add up all of your desires, here's what's at top. Jesus. In a gospel identity, you adore the one that adores you. And all other loves take their place. And we're no longer driven by anything else except for Jesus. And when Jesus comes first, here's the interesting thing about the gospel identity, point three. When Jesus comes first, you'll have cultural flexibility. I know this is going to sound a little bit strange and I have like five minutes. I probably don't have five minutes, but I'm taking five minutes, so sorry. But look, if you look up where do all of the Hindus in the world live, 90% live in India. If you look up where do all of the Muslims in the world live, for the most part, there's a big band across uh, Northern Africa and Middle East. Sort of, that's, they live right there. If you look up where do all the Christians live, they're everywhere. Why? Because a gospel identity allows for the most cultural flexibility. You know why? Because it's because it is complex and it's flexible. It's not culturally exclusive and rigid. Okay? All identities have layers. We all have identity factors, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a male. I'm a white male. I'm a millennial white male. I'm a pastor. I'm a handsome pastor. I am just kidding. I am, I am an aspiring athlete, right? There's all these things where it's like, okay, here's all my identity. So like these factors, they can get shuffled in various ways depending upon uh, the, the, the culture or the environment that I'm a part of. And it depends upon where I derive my identity and where I derive my value, what goes to the top of my list and how I get shuffled. So that could be like, oh, my occupation. So that's at top right now. Oh, that could be my, my, my career. That's at top. Oh, it could be my passion. That could be at the top. Oh, it could be my gender. That's at the top. Oh, it could be my, you know, it could be my race, my ethnicity. That could be at the top right now. Right? Especially right now. Everybody's like, everybody's stacking and shuffling all these identity factors in order to define themselves. But see, the danger of uh, the traditional identity is racism. 
And the danger of the modern identity is materialism. And that's from Tim Keller. And I thought, whoa, hold on, wait just a second. Let me think a little bit about that. And I don't have time to go into it completely. But listen, Jesus doesn't come to demolish all of your identity factors, but to demote them. So that's why as a, as a Christian, I have so much cultural flexibility because I can be a part of the culture that I live in, but still confess Jesus first. If you look at other religions or cults, what they say is you got to dress like us. You got to look like us. You got to eat like this. You got to eat this certain way. You got to live in this certain place. You got to go to this certain place. Everything is totalitarianism. But when you look at the gospel flexibility and what we can do within our culture, it doesn't mean that we can't be young. It doesn't mean that we can't be a pastor, an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that we can't be white or black or some other ethnicity. It doesn't matter. All of those things contribute to who we are. We get insight from those factors, but we don't idolize any of those factors because Jesus is at the top. So it's actually incorrect to tell somebody to abandon all of their identity factors because they become a Christian. No, you can actually keep all of those intact so long as they're righteous, so long as Jesus is at the top. How did that go over? Here's the last point, openness to difference. A gospel identity allows you a unique openness to the difference of others. Even those who oppose you, even those who crucify you, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, right? So when your gospel, or excuse me, when your identity is based upon any identity factors aside from Jesus, you look down upon other people who don't have those identity factors. So if you're, if, if right now, if right now your greatest identity factor is, is that you're a Republican, then you hate all Democrats. If your greatest identity factor is that you're a Democrat, then you hate all Republicans. You have to demonize them and vilify them. If you're a conservative and that, and that is so important to you that you hate all liberals, you, you got Jesus in the wrong spot, my man. I'm telling you, if you are a liberal and you hate all conservatives, you got Jesus in the wrong spot. It could be that your politics are informing a little too much of your identity. And, and, and guys, I'm going to say the exact same thing for ethnicity. Well, I don't care what color you are, where you're from, what culture you're from. Jesus has to be first. It doesn't mean that everything else gets abandoned. Stop asking people to abandon their ethnicity because they're Christian. Stop doing that. That's actually an important part of who they are. It's just not the supreme identity factor in how they relate to the world and themselves. You can be an American Christian, an African Christian, an Indian Christian. All of it is fine. Just make Jesus tops. Which is why we can be one body and in unity and not be divided and be connected. And we can respect each other's differences and say, you know what? I disagree, but you know what we agree on? Jesus is tops. So we're actually good. And I'm not demanding that you change any part of any of the identity factors that God has given you to become. You don't have to change any of those things to be my friend because I'm actually super open to difference. You know why? Because I got Jesus in the top spot. We don't have to agree and it's all good. You know why? Because Jesus is in the top spot. So we just might need to reorder a little bit. What's in the top spot? Like, what's your primary identity factor? Is that, is that that you are, you know, anything except for, it's just Jesus. 
Everything else is everything else that God has made you to be. You be a father, be a mother. That's great. That's great. You be a business person. You could be entrepreneur. You could be an artist. All that's great. Those are all identity factors. They, they, they inform who you are, but you don't idolize yep, yep. any of them. Because yep, so Jesus takes first place. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We got to close. Please stand. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for giving us a pure identity, a true identity, a steadfast identity, a righteous identity, a holy identity. Lord, you have given us an identity that is stable, that is sure, that is secure, that doesn't change. It doesn't matter what happens in the world, doesn't matter what happens in culture. We can stay radically consistent because of who you are. And I just want to finish today by saying thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for what you achieved on the cross. Thank you for what you performed. My value no longer flows from what I achieve. My value no longer flows from how well I perform. None of my significance comes from any part of my identity except for the fact that Jesus is supreme. None of my security comes from anything else except for the fact that Jesus is supreme. And we put our trust in you today, Jesus, to speak to our hearts and tell us exactly who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.